Now let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that your word would speak to every person here today, every one of us, about our place in the body, about our place in the family. You would help us to settle in and be who you created us to be. Father, we thank you for what you accomplished through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In a few minutes, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 3. And then I'm going to read from Ezra chapter 3. So New Testament, E3, Ephesians 3. Old Testament, E3, Ezra 3. Okay, I'm going to read from two different passages during this message. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. If you don't have it on, on your phone or something, we'll have the verses on the screen. Let me say, first of all, I'm glad to be home today. Last weekend, Ann and I were in Austin, Texas, ministering there at a church, had a great time there. How many of you know Texas needs Jesus? <laughs> Any Texans in the house today? Yeah. yeah, see? Good thing about Texans is they'll let you know they're around, okay? So we're glad for everybody who's here today. Anyway, we, we, were in, we were in Texas last week, had a great time ministering there, but I'm glad I'm back home with my family. And it's so good to see you today. Um, you know, one of the things that God is trying to do with his people is he's trying to convince us that we're his family. And if we're his family, it not only goes this way, it goes out this way. Today's message is God's people, God's family. I'm going to talk a lot about this concept of family. If I were to ask you the question today, why did Jesus go to the cross? Most people would say, well, he went to the cross to die for our sins. And, and the truth of the matter is, there's a lot to that question. If you dig through scriptures and you look at the atonement, there are really several answers to that question. Why did Jesus go to the cross? But usually, when we think about why did Jesus go to the cross, it's like, okay, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? I want to turn this around for a minute. I want to ask you, why did God send his son to the cross? What was in it for him? Well, one of the reasons why God sent Jesus to the cross was because he wanted a family. Everybody say family. He wanted family. He didn't just want people. He loves people. But he wanted those people to become his family. Let me illustrate it. In Romans chapter 8, and I'm not going to have you turn there, but you can go home and read it today. Romans 8 is a great chapter because it talks a lot about family. And what we find in verse 29, it says that Jesus became the firstborn among many brethren. Okay? All you Bible scholars, what is our relationship to Jesus? We are brothers. Come on, I know some of you that, oh my God, that's right. He might become the firstborn among many brethren. The firstborn in the family. Brothers and sisters. So technically in the family of God, Jesus is our oldest brother. That's scriptural. Some of you didn't know that. Let me hit it from this way. Romans 8, 17 says that we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. So what, is, what belongs to Jesus by rights of an heir belongs to us as heirs of God. We're joint heirs. We share in what God has. Why? Because we're family. Joint heirs. Notice the language. One more illustration out of Romans chapter 8. Paul said, you've not received the spirit of bondage that you would be in fear of God, but you have received the spirit of adoption. God has adopted us 
And because of that, we now have the right to say, Abba, Father. And Abba in the original writings means my dear Father. And literally, break it down, it means Daddy God. My Daddy God. We're the children of God. If we're the children of God, that makes us family. Let me illustrate it from Scripture. One day, Jesus was ministering. You find it in Mark chapter 3. Jesus is ministering one day, and he's got a crowd of people, Scripture says, all around him. Just a mob of people there. He's ministering. And his mother and his brothers come, and they grab somebody's attention and say, Hey, would you go get Jesus for us and stop us? We need to talk to him. Go tell him his mother and his brothers are here, and they, they need him. So they go to Jesus and tell him. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus asks the question, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he goes on to say in the next verse, here, he looks all around the crowd, all the way around the circle. Here are my brothers and my mother. And he goes one step further in the next verse. He says, whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, I want you to catch the distinction here. He's saying... They may be my flesh and blood family in a sense. But he said, if you want to know who my real family is, it's everybody who surrenders their life to the will of God. That's my family. Now, let me illustrate it from a personal level, from me. It was a sober moment when I was just a young minister, really getting into God's word and beginning to study. And I got into this concept of God's family and something hit me so strongly. I have family members who have basically rejected God. Extended family members. They basically, no, don't need God. Some have said, nah, I'm agnostic. I don't even think it matters. Some have said, I don't even believe in God. As a young man, it was a sobering moment because we had a tight-knit family. As it was a sobering moment when I realized I had flesh and blood family. <laughs> and I thought it was going to happen right now. Uh, somebody might slip over there, as I have told them many times, and tell the youth to turn it down a little bit. <laughs> have you ever done that at home? Anybody? I, 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 I've had conversations with Corey about this. How many of you know Pastor Corey's in big trouble tomorrow morning when we get to the office? <laughs> you know what? The truth is, I, I love the noise coming from over there. I just don't love the bump, 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 bump. But that's a generational thing, and I'll get to that in a few minutes, okay? But, but here's the thing. I came to a sobering moment because I realized <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to say God has a sense of humor, and I'm just trusting that's God doing that <laughs> and not somebody else. Um, but it was a sobering moment when I realized that I had flesh and blood family who might not spend eternity with me. But I had a lot of other people that were not flesh and blood who had become my family and they were going to spend eternity with me. I know it's a sobering thing to talk about, but what do we know about family? What do we know about God's family? Well, from Scripture, especially the New Testament, you see this shift. Because in the Old Testament, the, the people of God, it's all about Israel. 
But you see, Israel started as a man and then his wife and then their son and then their grandson and great-grandson. It went on. For, it started as a family. It became a clan. It continued to grow and the clan became tribes who were all still a part of what became a nation of people. It started with God wanting family. But in the New Testament, this shift comes because God through Jesus opens the door to whosoever will. Anybody from any nation on the face of the earth who puts their faith in Jesus is born into the family of God. And now they take on a brand new identity and they realize flesh and blood may last for a lifetime, but this family stands for eternity. So what do we know about God's family? Well, in the, in the Bible, it's Jews and Gentiles. Jews and those who weren't Jews, basically. Paul began to travel the globe at, at the then known globe preaching the gospel of Jesus. And we're going to get to what he said about it here in a few minutes in Ephesians 3. But I'm setting it up. We have to understand that the family of God is quite diverse. We learned it in Sunday school. How many of you remember Sunday school? Have a few older people in the house. Uh, we learned it in Sunday school in children's church. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. That's what Paul was talking about. That's what God was trying to do, to open up his family to everyone who would believe in Jesus. I did this first service. I'm not going to do it this service because I wound up spending way too much time with it. And, and it lasted like 10 minutes long. How many of you don't want to stay 10 minutes longer today? Okay, one to and here's what i here's what was cool first service we had people in our church my family now see zach's my son okay but i had a brother here in first service from nigeria i had a brother in second service from the philippines and sister from laos i got brother and sister from kenya here today we all look a little different, but we're family. We're God's family. I had family here from Central America, Mexico. Anybody here from Mexico today? How about Colombia? It went on from there. Ecuador. Cuba. We went to Cuba this during first service. Yeah, there you go. I mean, begin to go all directions. And I begin to realize we had somebody here from Canada. Yeah. In the, oh, Canada. I don't know what the rest of it is, but it's that much. Any, uh, we had people here from Brazil first service and second service. I mean, we realized this church is a picture of the family of God. And you are my brothers and my sisters. We are family. And I would like for you to let me be family. And I'd like for you to be my family. Because that's the heart of God. We even had people here from... Oklahoma <laughs> and Hawaii put that together and figure it out but that, that's our church we're a picture of the family of God now look at Ephesians chapter 3 Ephesians chapter 3 I'm gonna set this up so that when we start reading you understand what we're saying in the first part of Ephesians the first couple of chapters in the first part of chapter 3 Paul's writing to a Gentile church. Okay, they're not Jewish people. It's in Ephesus. 
He's writing to these people to help them understand their place in the family of God. And as he does this, he starts writing about how God called him to declare this mystery to the people, to help them understand we were not a family, but we're now a family. We were not a people, but we are now a people. And he said, God put this anointing upon my life to reach out to you and to bring people together, even though I'm a Jew from all over the globe, to help us understand we're the, we're the family of God. It was a mystery until now. So look at verse 14, where it's all set up. Here's what he says in verse 14. For this reason, because of all this, this mystery of God's family from all nations, for this reason... I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named. Now, Paul starts talking here about our identity. Some of us, in our thinking, we need to have an identity shift. Because in other places, Paul, for example, wrote and said, you know what, I may live here on this planet, but my citizenship's not here. My citizenship's in heaven. And he said, you know, I come from a very Jewish family, and he traced his heritage back to his tribe. He said, man, we were Pharisees, we were religious people. But now none of that means anything, because now I only identify with the family of God. And he said, this family is named after our heavenly father. So see, my earthly identity, my last name is Martin. I'm a part of the Martin family. I'm passing that on to my son and my grandsons. But the thing is, when it comes to eternity, Martin doesn't matter. What matters is that God's name is written upon my life, and I'm a part of his family. And God wants us to understand we are family. How many can remember the 70s? We are family. Remember that? Yeah, Pittsburgh Pirates, their big theme song. But what do we know about family? Stop and think about it. If we're family, some of us get so religious we can't even enjoy, enjoy family. What do we know about family? Let, let me tell you a little bit about my family. When I was a kid and then a teenager and then a young adult, pretty much every Thanksgiving and Christmas, my mom's family got together. Most of my dad's family lived out of state, but most of my mom's family was here in the state. She was one of seven children, and oftentimes all seven of them and their children and grandchildren would gather together. It started at my grandparents' house, and then it shifted to my parents' house. So almost every year, twice a year, Thanksgiving and Christmas, most of us would get together, and I loved it. I mean, when I was little, I loved it. When I was older, I loved it. It was awesome to see aunts and uncles and cousins, to see my mom and dad, grandpa and grandma, my great-grandmother up in years sitting in her rocking chair. It was awesome for all of us to be together because what I realized was a family consists of several different generations and age groups. And so when we got together, of course, you know, the teenagers went out and sat in the car and listened to music because their parents didn't want to hear it. Everybody knows how that works. The younger kids are out playing in the yard doing whatever they do. The little bitty kids are running around the house and the parents are kind of watching them. And then, of course, the babies are getting all the attention. Why? Because that's the way a family works. That's the way it's supposed to work. Moms are in the kitchen laboring over lunch. 
Later, later on, laboring over the dishes after lunch, making sure the guys, the men of the house who are watching football get plenty of food to eat. How many of you know that? Somewhere along the line, something wasn't just right there. <laughs> but my point is, grandparents, they ask grandma and grandpa, you know what, you all just go sit down and relax. We got this. My great-grandmother wasn't asked to do anything. When we got together to eat, grandpa prayed over the meal because that's what our family did. But here's what I want you to see. Every generation, every age group, they brought different things to the table. They had unique roles and they had unique responsibilities. And it came with their age and their stage of life. That's the way natural family works. And to some extent, it should be the same way in a healthy church family. But there's a big difference between a healthy family and an unhealthy family. Now, any weekend, there are several things that we as a staff, pastoral leaders, there's, there are several things that we look at and say, these are wins for the weekend. This was great, this was great, this was great. I'm going to tell you something. The second biggest win today is watching close to 200 teenagers go out there to be a part of what God's doing here. That is a win. I had a family after first service today said, you know what? We've been in here in town for a lot of years. We went to a smaller church, but the youth group just wasn't very relative. It wasn't very good. My kids didn't like it. They went here on a Wednesday night and they visited, and we've been coming ever since because our kids love it here. Let me tell you something. You know what that is? That's a healthy family. I'm not saying we're better than anybody else. I'm just saying it's healthy because we understand the importance of generations and we make room for them. We're all a part of this family. And you know, I, I found out something. I was raised in church my whole life. Uh, went through my teenage years trying to sort some things out in my own mind. But at, at 19, I answered God's call in the ministry. At 21, I was in full-time ministry. The, the interesting thing was when I got into pastoral ministry, I learned it's really easy to become a child of God. You want to come into God's family? It's really easy. You put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You commit your life to Him. It's easy. God will accept you. It's easy to get in the family. But I learned that most people struggle trying to become a good brother and sister in the family. It can be challenging at times. And if we're not careful, it will affect the health of a church but just like family each age group learns from the group in front of it it's the same way in church family we all have something to give and we all have something to receive in God's family now look at verse 16 still in Ephesians 3 look at verse 16 so Paul lays out this concept of we're the family of God and we carry his name eternally verse 16 he said, I pray that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in God's love, and notice what he says, that you will be able to comprehend with all the other family members, the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled 
with all the fullness of God. Now, now pause here for a moment. What Paul is saying here, very simple, I'll put it in simple, the most simple words I know how to, to, to say it, with which to say it. Paul is saying here, when you come into God's family, God starts teaching you his ways. He starts teaching you about this new life. And there's two specific things he says. First, he says, we begin an amazing, never-ending, lifelong journey exploring the depths of God's love. How many of you, whatever time, whether it was last week, last month, last year, or 50 years ago, how many of you came to God and found out that God loved you and he accepted you as you were? What Paul says is, if you've experienced that, that's just the beginning. Because now you get to spend the rest of your lifetime and probably all of eternity exploring the depths and the boundaries of God's love for you. In other words, no matter what situation you're in, every area of your life, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, financially, materially, every area of your life, God wants you to explore and find out just how much he loves you. See, see the reason... The reason some people get bored with God and get dried up and become cranky is because they stop exploring the depths of God's love and they start pointing their fingers and griping about other people in the family. That's a sign of religion, not relationship. Because when we're in relationship with God, we keep our eyes on the ball and we realize that no matter what I'm dealing with, God's love has more for me. And I'm going to tell you something. You can live to 120. How many are going for 120? Okay, I'm going for all of it. That's why I'm midlife now. I'm going for all of it. But, but here's, here, here's the point. You can live to be 120 years old, and you will never find all the boundaries of God's, God's love. You will never exhaust it and explore it all. But Paul said, God wants you to begin this journey and start finding out, living with expectation, that every day of my life, God's love has more for me. I think about in any year here at the Bridge Church, it's amazing the number of times I hear stories about people being healed by the power of God. Physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, every area. I hear of all kinds of healings. And the cool thing is, most of the time, I don't even know what's happening because it's people praying for people. It's people praying here, people praying at Bridge Men, people praying at Bridge Women, happening among the teenagers, happening among our children. We hear miracles on a regular basis, healings, things that God's doing. It excites me to know I don't have to be doing everything. We're all the family of God, and we can minister to each other and share God's love. It's amazing. You know, we hear amazing stories about marriages that have been restored. God's brought families back together again. It's awesome to hear these things. We hear about young people, how they get into teenage years, become young adults, and they're in a wrong direction, going in a wrong path, and they come here, and they somehow get connected with God's family, and it changes the course of their life. And I hear these stories, and I get so excited because I realize that's what God wants. He wants us to explore all of his love. But then there's a second thing that Paul said. He said, we also begin the process of experiencing God Becoming filled with all the fullness of God. 
We talked about this a little bit recently, but God wants to fill you with all of his fullness so you have the ability to minister to other family members and other people outside the family. Think about that. To be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm, I've been doing this a lot of years, but I don't consider myself to have yet been filled with all the fullness of God and experienced it all. I believe there's more ahead for me and for my family. We say it around here a lot of Sundays. God has better plans for you than you have for yourself. So let's believe that God wants to fill us with all of his fullness. There are people in this building right now, people who are part of our church. In the last few years, you have risen to heights and places you never dreamed you'd be able to go. I can tell you all kinds of stories. It's amazing where some of our people have gone because they believed that God had more for their lives. And they pursued it within the family of God. Now, look at verse 20, because now we're going to get to a familiar verse. Notice what he says. Verse 20, now to him who is able, speaking of God, God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, the power of his spirit. Verse 21, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. To who? All generations, young and old alike. Forever and ever. From generation to generation, God wants to do great things in our lives that glory rises to God. Do you know what God wants to do in your life, in your work life, your business, your family, your home, your finances? You know what God wants to do in your life more than you can imagine. More than you can imagine. And it happens within this framework that we call God's family. Why does he do this? Why does he want to do this? So that we who bear his name give him glory. Because he's glorified when his blessing rests upon us. Now go to Ezra chapter 3. I'm going to move quickly. Ezra chapter 3, back to the Old Testament, because I want to show you just a bit of a picture of what a healthy church family really looks like. A few weeks ago, we as a church had our 35th anniversary. And I shared from these verses, but I only had just a few minutes to share, 7, 8, 10 minutes. I did it really quickly and just shared my heart. I want to come back and I, I want to drill down a little deeper just for a couple minutes here today. But look at Ezra chapter 3, verse number 10. And before we read, let me set up what happens. There was a time in the history of Old Testament Israel, God's family at the time, when they rejected God, they'd built idols, they'd gotten far from God, they weren't serving God, and as a result, God moved his hand of protection, and they were carried away into captivity, many, many of them carried away to Babylon, to a whole different nation, under a different king. When that happened, these armies marched through their land and pretty much leveled everything, especially the, the city of Jerusalem, which was their pride and joy. It was leveled. The walls were torn down. The city was leveled. And worst of all, the house of God, the temple of God, the, the, the tabernacle of God, this great house of God was destroyed. Everything they had to be proud of was gone. But then several years later, 
the king of Babylon began to release some of the slaves they had taken. Let them come back home to begin to rebuild the land and the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. And there were two men that God used greatly to get that process started. One was Nehemiah. God sent Nehemiah to lead the the restructuring, the rebuilding of the walls of the city, their protection. But then God sent a contemporary man named Ezra to begin rebuilding the house of God, the temple of God, for the family of God, the place of worship. So what happens is they start this process of building God's house. And there are old people who remember the first house that was destroyed. There are young people there, and this is a whole new experience for them. Many of them are slaves who've been released. Some of them are people who've lived there in the land for a lot of terrible, horrible years. But they finish laying the foundation of the temple in its original site, and they start to have a celebration. Look at verse number 10. Ezra 3, verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, And the Levites, the son of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord. Now, these are spiritual leaders. They all get dressed in their spiritual garb. They get their instruments, and they begin to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. Verse 11. And they sang responsively, which means back and forth. The crowd began to sing the same song. One side singing, then the other side singing. One group singing, then another group singing. They began to sing responsively praising and giving thanks to the lord and here's what they sang for god is good and his mercy endures forever toward israel so one sign would sing the lord he is good and his mercy endures forever then the other side would sing the lord he's good and his mercy endures forever and back and forth it went and it began to echo and get louder and louder and louder here's what happened They sang responsively, praising, giving thanks to the Lord. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now pause here a moment. You know what the foundation of the house of God needs to be? To every generation, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. That needs to be our first and foremost song. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Here's what happens. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men. Everybody say old men. men. There's no old men here today. I'm looking around the building. Nobody here close to 120. Okay. Let's rephrase this. Older people. Okay. Who had seen the first temple wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy. Notice the two responses. Some began to weep with all the singing, and some began to shout joys of praise or praises of joy. Verse 13, so that the people could not discern The noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. This multi-generational church family begins to sing. The old people sing, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. 
Moms and dads sing, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Young adults sing, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Teenagers sing, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And even the little kids begin to sing, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. But as they sang, this crowd had two different responses. Older people wept because they remembered what the temple had meant to them in days gone by. They remembered all the great things that God did before the tragedy, before they were taken captive. And now they begin to realize what God has done in the past, He still wants to do. And they weep and they weep when they consider their sons and their daughters and their grandchildren and their great children, great grandchildren. They begin to weep because they realize God isn't finished yet. But the younger generation, they're not weeping. They're dancing, they're shouting for joy, they're excited because all they know is, man, it was tough for mom and dad and grandpa and grandma, but better days are ahead because God is still wanting to work in our lives. They saw it coming. And they got excited about it. Let me ask you a question. Which generation do you think got it right? I think they both did. Because that's a picture of a healthy church. See, I, I can see, I can see in a religious church which is not this church. I can see at a religious church how people say, well, bless God, they're not weeping and crying. They're not really experiencing God. They're not serious about this thing. Now, I can see young people saying, what's wrong with you old people weeping and crying all the time? You ought to be happy about what God's doing. See, the responses are different, but God's still working in all of it. Why? Because it's multi-generational. That's a picture of a healthy church. Our responses are different, but we're still responding to the same song and the same God. Now, let me, let me get down to it. I'm almost finished, so stay with me. Those of you who are watching the clock, I'm not going to go that long. Another 30, 40 minutes, I'll be done. <laughs> Did you know... Did you know there's a natural tension that exists between generations? There's a natural tension that exists between generations. It's just there. Your, your kids want some of what you teach them, but they don't want everything. They don't want to dress like you. They don't want to listen to your music. You know, I was talking about all the people from all the different countries. You know, our our children's pastor, he's from Mars. He's from a whole different world. <laughs> from generation to generation, they want different things. And, and there's a tension that develops there. And, and I want to talk to you about this for a minute. Every generation that I can, at least in my lifetime and before in America, every generation is defined by its music and its fashion. So as, as fashion changes, as music changes, there's a tension. Parents are saying, what are you doing wearing that? That's the stupidest thing I ever saw. And sometimes they're right, but not always. Turn that music off. I can't stand that. Well, what do you mean? This is cool. See, each generation is defined to a great extent by its music and by its fashion. Think about it. 1940s music, 
Some of you don't remember it, of course. I don't remember that. That's way before my time. But, you know, there was the big band era. And then the 50s hit. How many remember a guy named Elvis Presley? Okay, Buddy Holly, some of those guys. And then it shifted. And you know, how, many remember, how, remember, how many remember how people dressed in the 50s? Look back now, it's stupid. It's pretty stupid. <laughs> I'm kidding. Just hang with me, okay? I'm making a point. 60s, it began to shift. How many remember the Beatles and the Rolling Stones? In the early days of Eric Clapton, before he was cool, when he was just a long-haired hippie. I remember all that, huh? See, I'm, I'm going to make a point, so stay with me. And then in the 80s it changed, and the 90s it changed, and it keeps changing. Why? Because every generation, there's a tension there, and they want their own identity. The problem is, in a family, you won't kick your kids out of the family because they're dressing different and listening to different music. You try to control some, but you don't kick them out of the family. But yet in church, that's exactly what we've done in the history of the church in America. We kick people out when they no longer want to be just like us. And that's why we've got churches all over America dying with nobody left except three or four old people because they basically said, we don't want you here. If that's for me, tell them I'm busy and I'll call them back right after church. Listen to me. The question is not, what does it sound like? The question is, what are they singing? Because from generation to generation, the way we praise God changes. But the song doesn't change. The song continues. The Lord, he is good and his mercy endures forever. As long as the teenagers and the kids are singing that, I don't care what it sounds like. As long as they're getting the message and they're moving forward in God, that's what God's concerned about. Because that's what a healthy family does. that Pastor Aaron won't let me sing Gaither music anymore. It really bugs me. Where is he? Yeah, he's, he's hiding already. He knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. He, he knew the next thing I'm going to talk about is wearing big boy clothes, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, I don't care who you are. That, that was funny. That was funny. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Pastor Aaron turned 39 last week. It's killing him. It's killing him. I'll save that for another Sunday. My, my generation, I'm almost finished, so, so stay with me. I'm going to move really quick. Quickly. My generation, when I, when I was a teenager, there was a shift coming because it was the late 60s early 70s guys started growing their hair long wearing sloppy looking jeans with peace signs sold on the back pocket you know the message was out there and we all know what was happening in America most of our churches in America said no we'll not have this styles of music were changing most churches, it was pipe organ. Some churches, like my home church, was piano and organ. And all of a sudden, these guys want to bring guitars and drums in the church. It's like, eh, 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 eh. nope, we're not doing that. 
Southern California, we lost almost a whole generation of church kids because we said no to their fashion and their music. God raised up a man named Chuck Smith who said, you know what? I'll take the hippies. I'll take the beach bums. I don't care. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And if they want Jesus, I don't care what they look like. I don't care how they want to sing the songs. I don't care what the music is like. We're going to save a generation. And he did. Almost single-handedly through their churches. They saved a generation of young people. Now, where it goes from here, I don't know. But I'm just telling you what happened back in the 60s and 70s. What about our future? This morning I watched my grandson, he's three years old, I watched him over here you know, clapping his hands. He loves to come in for worship. He loves to, he's, he's just enamored with these singers up here. He's clapping his hands. He kept getting closer up to the platform, look at his parents, and they weren't looking, and he kept getting closer and closer, <laughs> clapping his hands. And when they begin to praise God, he just clapped his hands. Up to it thrills my heart. Several months ago when Nick came on our staff, he was telling me his son Dominic, how old's Dominic, 10, 8? He looks like he's 10. Dominic, he's a big boy. Dominic, when they first started coming to church here, Nick asked him, said, Dominic, do you like this church? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm liking it. This is really great. And he looked at his dad and said, Dad, do you think maybe I could, you think maybe I could be a pastor here at this church someday? And I didn't tell Nick, but that went all over me. You know what? When our children begin to sense the presence of God, why are we pointing fingers saying, don't sing it that way and don't sing it that way? Why don't we just say, keep singing the song however it sounds good to you? They all begin to praise God, weeping and shouting, and it got so loud it went throughout all the land. And all the only thing they knew throughout the land was these people are excited about God. Within the framework of a healthy church family, every age, every stage, every generation has something to give and something to receive. To an experienced generation, people like me, to an experienced generation, we need the life and the excitement that a young generation brings. We need it desperately. Some of us are so dead and dry and lost our excitement I mean, Geritol won't even help. So, you know, we need the young people to bring some excitement into our lives and stop griping about it. Be happy for it. But then to a young generation, children, teenagers, young adults, young families, you need the wisdom and the guidance that comes from an experienced generation. We need you, and you need us. And would you give me a Kleenex? Something's making my nose run. I don't know what it is. Probably these tears. Give my wife a hand. We've been married 16 years yesterday. <laughs> 16 years and she still thinks I'm cute and sexy. <laughs> or so I tell her. I'm almost finished. Let me, let me just finish this. Years ago, several years ago, I sat down with a, a young man who was working in ministry with his father, and then later on I sat down with his father. 
And I listened to them share a vision that they had for the church. And the father and son were in conflict about how to accomplish that vision in the church. It really was, was difficult at the time, very difficult. And after I listened to both of them separately, I told each of them separately. I said, it sounds to me like you're sitting on this hill looking down on the valley, what God's going to do. You're sitting on this hill looking down the valley, and you're looking at the same thing. You're just seeing it from different perspectives. You know, you can go up to the different hills around here and look on this valley, and it looks different from every angle. I said, you're seeing the same thing. You're just seeing it from your generation." from your hillside. God help us to never stop seeing the church through the eyes of the generation that's still to come. Because they're going to carry the work of God forward. Joel chapter 2. Joel gave us this prophecy from the Lord. Peter quoted it on the day of Pentecost. God says, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And it's not just going to be you your sons and daughters are going to carry it. People around you who are, who are working with you, they're going to carry it. Everybody, everybody in all corners of the globe, they can all carry it and become the family of God. I'll tell you something. I thank God for what he's done. I thank God for what he's doing. But I'm just excited about what's going to happen down the road through the next generation. That's a healthy church. That's a healthy church question is, will I see what God sees? Will I enjoy my role and fill my role? Will I fulfill my responsibilities? Will I give what I have to give and receive what younger people have to give to me? My answer is yes. Because we're the family. The family of God. Would you bow your heads this morning? I want to pray two prayers. First of all, Father, I ask you today to help us all see our responsibilities and the call upon our lives. Help me see my generation, my calling, my life. Let me see it as you see it and let me share what you've called me to do with the next generation in mind and the next generation after that in mind. Father, help me to give what you've given me to give. But then help me to receive what others want to give back to me. In the days when I weep for the past, help me to cheer and rejoice and dance for the future. Help me never get stuck living in the good old days, but help me to look ahead and realize God's not finished. Father, sometimes old people say, I've seen it all. Help us to realize you look at the next generation and you say you haven't seen anything yet. I stir hearts to continue to be a generational church in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. One more quick prayer. Maybe you're here today and for whatever reason, maybe you've never said yes to God. Maybe you've never joined his family. Maybe you had fears. Maybe you had concerns. Could be a thousand different reasons. But maybe today you're sitting in this service and you're realizing, I want to be in God's family. God's got better plans than I have. God wants to bless me. He does. And maybe you're here today and you're wondering, how do I become a part of God's family? 
Simple, you accept his invitation. If you feel that way today and your heart's being stirred, that's because God's knocking on the door of your heart. He's just wanting you to say yes. You say, well, what do I have to do? Say yes to Jesus. Let him begin to work in your life. Start walking with him day by day. It's just really simple. But it all begins with a, a prayer of invitation saying, God, I accept your invitation. I receive you today. So I want to lead you in that prayer. It's simple words, communicating with God. I want to ask you to just attach your heart to these words and write out loud. You don't have to yell it and scream it, but write out loud. Even if you whisper it, write out loud from your heart. Pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I need you. I open my heart to you. Please come into my life. I want to be part of your family. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. From this day forward, I will learn your ways. I will follow you. Thank you for receiving me. You are my Father, and I am your child. Amen. Amen. It's the most important prayer, decision you can ever make your entire life. It's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning of the journey. And as a church family, we want to help you begin that journey. So we've got a little tool. It's our gift to you. It's a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just simple reading for the next week. It'll help you understand more about this relationship with God, help you start building that relationship with God. We want to give it to you. When service is over, there'll be prayer teams at the front of the building. You can just walk up to one of these teams. They're here to pray with anyone for any need. If you just walk up and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you there. No strings attached. If you want to get it and go, that's fine. If you have questions, you want prayer for something else, they'll help you with that. If you're in a really big rush, out in the lobby, just as you exit, right in the middle of the glass doors, there's a counter set up there. You can stop by there, ask for the booklet. They'll give it to you. We want to help you get started walking with God. Let's put our hands together and welcome new believers into God's family. God bless you. Now we're almost finished with service. We're going to be dismissing in a few minutes. We're going to take a moment. We're going to give to God, watch church news, and we'll be going. I'm going to ask everyone, if at all possible, unless you have to get up and go, please remain seated. But I, let me share what we as a church are, are taking on. This will excite some of you and it'll mean a lot to you. As you know, the last few years, Ann and I separately have been involved in ministry in India and over into Nepal. And a great opportunity has come our way to be involved in something that I believe can help change a nation. We work mostly in Northern India, up by the China border, over by the Nepali border. And we minister to generations of people. But there's a big, big need there because where there are established churches, they're having a hard time with the next generation. Because the next generation, they've all got cell phones, they're all on the internet, they're getting fed Western culture, they're learning English in their schools, which opens up a whole different internet world to them. And stuff's happening in those nations and or in those nations and in those churches that the older people don't know how to deal with and to some extent they're rejecting the younger generation it's creating major problems there's a big tension there but we work with a man named ron cargay there in, in india 
We, he was introduced to us by Joel Holm. Many of you know Joel. He speaks for us once or twice a year. He'll be here in another month or six weeks with us. Joel Holm has set out on a mission to do something extraordinary. God's dropped it in his heart. Joel is writing a brief summary of every paragraph in the New Testament. Because what happens with a lot of people is, if you start reading the Bible on your own, a lot of times you kind of get lost in it and you just get discouraged and stop. There's a generation of hungry young people in India who want to know about God and they don't want the established religions that are many. And so they're saying, teach us about God. Give us something relevant. Well, Joel is going there doing next generation conferences, but there's only so much you can do in a short period of time. So he is developing, it's a curriculum. There is a summary of every chapter in the New Testament where someone can read a chapter and come back and read this to help them understand how they apply it to their life as a follower of Jesus. It's like 800, 1,000 paragraphs that have to be written. He's well on his way to writing this curriculum. Ron Cargay in India is developing a phone app, electronic app that can be downloaded where these young people and even moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas can download this app and they can get this summary teaching to help them understand who God is, how he loves them. You go to India, for them there are thousands of gods. They can find out who the true God is and how to walk in relationship with him. It's an amazing thing. And it's going to cost to do all the app, to get it all prepared, to do the translation work from English into the Hindi language. They're going to start with the Hindi language as the first language. It's going to cost about $1,300. I mean, it's, I'm sorry, $13,000. Now, here's the deal. There are, what, 325,000 or 25 million people in America? In India alone, there are over half a billion people who speak the Hindi language. And that's going to become our mission field, to get the teaching of God's Word to them. It's an amazing opportunity. So I, I, when I found out about this, I said, we, the Bridge Church, will bite this off. And here's the thing. I'm going to help give it toward this. Ann and I are going to decide what God wants us to do. I want you to ask, God, what do you want me to do? This is not my tithe. It's not my regular giving to God. It's above and beyond because I want to see the gospel of Jesus go around the world and help reach a new generation in India. So I'm going to ask you today and next Sunday as well. I'll be leaving in about 10 days going back over there for my trip to do men's conferences and leadership training. So this Sunday and next Sunday, I'm asking you to give, to join me in our giving. and Let's make a difference in our world. Whichever way you choose to give, just obey God. God will bless you as you give. Ushers, come right now. Let's watch church news together. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Bridge. My name is Ashley, and I want to give you a very special welcome today. We hope that you enjoy your morning in church and that you and your family have a wonderful time with us. Here's a look at what's happening in the days ahead. We hope you'll find your place and be a part of what God's doing here at The Bridge. We are so grateful for everyone who serves at The Bridge and gives their time and talents to make a difference in the lives of others. To show our appreciation, we have planned a very special volunteer appreciation night 
We are taking over Mulligan's Family Fun Center on Tuesday, October 22nd from 6 to 9 p.m. The night will include unlimited go-karts, laser tag, mini golf, rock wall, batting cages, kids rides, and arcade games. This night is specifically for those who volunteer in the church and their immediate families. If that's you, be sure to check your email for a special invitation with a link to register. You can also register on our website or on the Bridge app. We want to say thanks for all that you do to help people connect with God and connect with each other. One of the most common questions we are asked at the Bridge is what kind of local outreach do we offer to our community? Every Sunday, we give away free food and clothing to anyone in need, no questions asked, through our community care program. If you or anyone you know is in need and can use some assistance with food or clothing, our community care program exists for you. Distribution happens at 1045 every Sunday morning in the back of the church building. If you'd like to spread the word to someone that you know who is in need, stop by the info center before you go and grab some of our community care cards. We want to do our best to help you and anyone else in need here in the Temecula Valley. we want to personally invite you to stop by the info center before you go today. Take a few minutes to come and say hi. Our team would love to meet you and help you get connected in church life. They can also answer any questions that you might have about the church. For more general info and to stay up to date, be sure to check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv. You can also stay plugged in by downloading the Bridge app. Just text the keywords, the Bridge Church app to 77977. Thanks again for spending your morning with us and have a wonderful Sunday. Awesome. Hey, can we just thank Pastor Gary for that message this morning? I don't know about you, but I'm grateful to be a part of a multi-generational church. Last thing this morning we want to tell you, if you serve anywhere here in the church, you volunteer on a team in the church, our volunteer appreciation night is coming up very, very soon. It's on Tuesday night, the 22nd of October. This night is designed for you if you serve and your family and your, uh, your children, your spouse, whoever that might be in your immediate family. We want to invite you to come and join us at Mulligan's. We're taking it over that night. There's not going to be anybody else there but us. It's going to be an awesome night. But here's the thing. If that's you and you do serve on a team and you plan on coming, we need you to register so that we can have a head count and be planned for that night. Just go check your email. If you serve, you would have gotten an email through Planning Center, the system that we use to schedule all of our teams. Or if you'd like to register for that, you can do it on our website, thebridgechurch.tv. Click on the upcoming tab and you'll see the graphic there for it. Just click on it and you can register you and your family right there. Or you can also register on the homepage of the Bridge app. We want to make sure that you are there. We want to celebrate you and honor you for all that you do in the church. Thank you so much for being here this morning. God bless you. Have an awesome Sunday and a great week. We'll see you in the house next weekend. Trying to help.